0: Children are our blessing. Amen? I love hearing those words. I love hearing that as a part of this church's mission statement. I love hearing it spoken out loud, except. Except when someone says it to me. And I'm in the grocery store. And one of my children is spilling a quite fragile box of blueberries while the other son is kicking the grocery cart as hard as he can and screaming, I want, I want, I want. And this is usually the moment when a lovely saint walks by and says, oh, children are such a blessing. You should cherish these times. Writer Gledon Doyle Melton had a similar experience. On her popular blog, Momastery, she tells this story. She said, last week, a woman approached me in the Target line and said the following, sugar... I hope you are enjoying this. I loved every single second of parenting my two girls. Every single moment these days go by so fast. At that particular moment, Emma had swiped a bra from the cart and arranged it over her sweater while sucking a lollipop undoubtedly found on the ground. She also had three shoplifted clip-on neon feathers stuck in her hair She looked exactly like a contestant from Toddlers and Tiaras. A losing contestant. I couldn't find Chase anywhere, and Tish was sucking the pen from the credit card machine while the woman in front of me was trying to use it. And so I just looked at that woman, smiled, and said, Thank you. Yes, me too. I am enjoying every single moment, especially this one. Yes, thank you. Children are a blessing. Yes. But they don't always feel like blessings. Often, they just feel hard. And isn't this true of families in general? There's a reason there's a lot of movies and sitcoms and jokes all built around the theme of avoiding the family gathering or those family gatherings that go so terribly wrong. And yet, family is such a key metaphor for us to understand our relationship to one another and our relationship to our God. Now Paul writes to the church in Rome at a time when the Christians there were trying to figure out who was part of the family. The Jewish people had received the promise, yes, but the Gentiles too were testifying that they felt drawn in by God's radically inclusive Paul reconciles these two worlds by identifying a new mechanism for how the world could tell who belonged to the beloved community. He called it the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, our hearts, our words, and our deeds. Paul, at the beginning of the book, often calls this faith, but here he calls it a spirit of adoption. Adoption. Just the word by itself is good news for you and me today. It's good news because it means that we get to belong to a family that we would not otherwise have had access to. In the Greco-Roman world, families often encouraged their sons to get adopted by wealthier households in order to gain access to greater opportunity and prestige than would have been possible had they stayed with their families of origin. Wealthy families often sought to adopt in order to increase the talent pool in their family to create a higher probability that there would be someone who was good at the family enterprise, someone that they could successfully pass down the business to. Now, this adoption style doesn't happen that often in the U.S., but it does elsewhere in the world. A 2011 episode of Freakonomics, which is a radio show and podcast by one of the authors of that book. Stephen Dubner shares research that he discovered about scionology. That's right, not Scientology, but scionology. Sort of a nickname for research. It's trying to understand what happens when a business is passed down from one generation of a family to the next. Now, some research has shown that at least publicly traded family companies tend to lose somewhere between 10 and 15% of their revenue stream as it's passed down. This is true for much of the industrialized world, with the notable exception of Japan. Japan. You see, Japan's family firm performance outranked the U.S., the U.K., and Germany. Because in Japan, there is this tradition of adopting outsiders into the family, either where there's not a male heir, or the male heir isn't deemed sufficiently capable of handling the business. These aren't as babies. Most of these, something like 98%, happen when these boys are either 25, 26, as old as 30 years old. These new scions take on the surname of the new family. They get all the benefits of being a part of this new family. And of course, the birth families are honored that their sons can now have the last name Toyota and Suzuki. As a matter of fact, the current chairman of Suzuki is an adopted heir. This is so prevalent that there's a hotel on the west coast of Japan the Hoshi family, that claims to have been run by 46 consecutive generations. And we get really happy if somebody can bring themselves back four or five generations. See, our adoption to the family of God carries similar benefits. However, the good news of Romans is that we don't need to be worthy of the blessing in order to receive this inheritance As we've already discussed, children can be a bit of a mess sometimes. And we, as children of God, are no exception. So often we don't behave like children of the Most High. Often we're a lot more like Claudia Kadhari. Claudia is a two-year-old whose picture went viral last week because she decided to throw a temper tantrum A temper tantrum in a place that few people her size have ever thrown temper tantrums before. The White House. That's right. In the picture, President Obama is gesturing down at Claudia, who broke down in tears and started pounding the floor right in front of him and her petrified parents at a Seder dinner back in April for no other apparent reason except for the fact that she's two. Now, according to Mom... She had an earlier breakdown while she was refusing to put on her silver tights and her Mary Janes. But as the president remarked, she's just doing her job. The good news of the gospel is that even when we children of God find ourselves pounding on the floor of life and crying out, God, why aren't things going the way I want them to go? That this promise, that this inheritance is now ours to receive. It's a grace. And because it's grace, we didn't earn it. We can't lose it. We don't lose it because our status as heirs has changed. We can't change that status. No matter how much we screw up our marriages, no matter how far our GPAs fall or how poorly we do on that test, We can't gain a greater inheritance by moving up the income bracket or by earning some more power. No, we are reminded by Paul at the end of this chapter that absolutely nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. Our inheritance is secure not because of us, but because of God. Not because of our struggles, but because of Christ's sufferings. This is echoed throughout Scripture. It's echoed in different ways, and the inheritance is phrased in different ways. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life. But I'm interested in what that inheritance means for you and me today, right now. Certainly it means that we are heirs of hope that the spirit of adoption is a disposition, sort of a a cross-shaped posture towards the world. A world where despair and scarcity are the defining narratives of our time. But if in life and death you and I belong to God, the spirit of adoption allows us to see our world through the lens of the Savior, the one who always reminds us that, Behold, I make all things new. We're heirs of hope, and we're heirs of life. We live in a world where the death-dealing ways of corporate empire have stymied so many great efforts of those who have sought to bring abundant life into the world. But heirs of life know that nothing can stop God from bringing the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. This posture of adoption leads us to seek abundant life within cultures of death. And most importantly, if we are children of God, then we are heirs to a new family. In the new realm of God's love, we are connected by font, and by table, by our shared humanity, by the very earth on which we stand to all of God's good creation. And to the whole new host of siblings that we've inherited. Now, I'm an only child, but my wife has three siblings. And so I'm told that as a sibling, you've got to have each other's backs, regardless of the merit of that love or how often you've pounded on the floor. They support one another when there's financial issues, issues at work, we live in a world that's man-eat-man. Man. Everybody, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And yet, this stands in direct opposition to a covenantal worldview which compels us to care for all of our siblings, regardless of how nice they've been to us. Children are our blessing. Amen? Children are God's blessing. We are God's children, and you and I have a baptismal responsibility to declare and to share this inheritance, which has been granted to all of us. My friends in Christ, my brothers and sisters, may this knowledge define your lives. Thank you for being a part of my family, and I look forward to sharing the blessings of this inheritance alongside all of you, even more fully. Thanks be to God, and amen.